0: Warning!
1: Warning! Today's episode contains spoilers, so if you have not seen the movie or TV show that we are talking about, we highly recommend that you watch it first, then listen to this episode. Thank you. What kind of a sick school is this?
0: But at the circle K,
2: you're gonna need a bigger boat. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me sure You got spunk. I
0: hate
2: spunk. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger.
0: Oh, righty.
2: How you doing? Back off, man. I'm a scientist. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Say
0: hello to my new friend.
2: I love the smell of a come in the morning. What are you people, on dope? Stop whining. I've got a crap on deck that can joke a don't get. Who is your
1: daddy? I'm sorry, but all questions must be submitted in writing. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm
2: afraid I can't do that. Can I do that? I'll be back. A dino man! Show me the money! Don't, don't up your nose when you have a phone. A what? I'm sailing! I'm sailing! You want you the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it. Pull it down. Love means never having to say you're sorry. It is looking at you, kid. We got no food. We got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off!
0: Go to the coast. we get together. Have a few laughs.
2: Hear Elizabeth? <laughs> I'm coming to join you, honey. I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. I love it when a plan comes together. What we
1: do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? put it up to 11 11, exactly one loud why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder these go to 11 we're on a mission from god hello and welcome to another episode of then is now podcast i am your host rigor Today, we're going to tackle a movie that has one of the most iconic movie monsters in film history, Alien from 1979. Directed by Ridley Scott, it's the tale of a crew of a deep space mining vessel as they struggle to survive against a creature on board their ship that is stalking them one by one. This movie is so iconic on so many levels, from the direction, to the acting, to the creature and set designs, as well as some of the sexual subtext contained within. So I'm going to have a special guest on with me today to help us dive into this movie and break it down for you. So sit back and prepare for scary alien fun. Class is in session.
2: I have a bad feeling about this. How could I possibly
1: be expected to handle school on a day like this?
2: Fight! Hey, you in my
1: class?
2: I am today. I think you should consider transferring to SHA class. Woo-woo!
1: Now, now, very few students are severely injured in Shaw class.
2: Bueller? When you were in school... Bueller? Did you ever cut class? Bueller? Yeah, I guess I did. Sure, most kids cut classes. Good. Sign this. Um, he's sick. I get so lonely when I hear that third attendance bell rings and all my kids are not here. Seven years of college down the drain. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son.
1: You lack discipline. As long as I'm here, there will be no grades or gold stars or demerits. We're going to have recess all the time.
0: Woo! Go play and have fun now.
1: Today, I am joined by first-time co-host Jack Gorey, and we're going to discuss the film Alien from 1979, which was directed by acclaimed filmmaker Ridley Scott. Welcome to the the show, Jack. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing? Not bad at all. Excellent. Well, we're glad to have you here. So I just want to tell the listeners, first off, if they have not seen the movie Alien, first of all, shame on you.
0: Shame. Shame. Shame.
2: Shame
1: you need to go and watch it before listening to the show. It's required viewing Second if you have seen it as well as the prequels like Prometheus and alien covenant We'd like you to just put those prequels out of your mind as you listen because we're just gonna focus on alien from 1979
2: if you may have figured out we're not home yet we're only halfway there mother's interrupted the course of our journey what? yeah she's programmed to do that should certain conditions arise they have seems she has intercepted a transmission of unknown origin she got us up to check it out what kind of a transmission acoustical beacon to- in some 12 seconds. SOS. Human. Unknown.
1: Ash, can you see this? I've never seen anything like it.
2: That transmission. Well, there's deciphered part of it, it doesn't look like an SOS. Well, what is it? Then? Well, I, it looks like a warning. It's full of leathery objects, mate. Right? Eggs or something.
1: Commercial space tug Nostromo is on a return trip back to Earth with a seven-member crew in stasis, Captain Dallas, Executive Officer Kane, Warrant Officer Ripley, Navigator Lambert, Science Officer Ash, and two engineers, Parker and Brett. Detecting a transmission, the ship's computer mother awakens the crew. As per company policy requiring any potential distress signal be investigated, they land on the moon despite Parker's protests, sustaining damage from its atmosphere and rocky landscape in the process. The engineers stay on board to effect repairs while Dallas, Kane, and Lambert head out to investigate. They discover the signal originates from a derelict alien ship and enter it, losing communication with the Nostromo. Ripley deciphers part of her transmission, determining it to be a warning, but cannot relay this information to those on the derelict ship. Meanwhile, Kane discovers a chamber containing hundreds of large egg-like objects. When he touches one, a creature springs out, breaking through his helmet and attaches itself to his face. Dallas and Lambert carry the unconscious Kane back to the Nostromo. As acting senior officer, Ripley refuses to let them aboard, citing quarantine regulations, but Ash overrides her decision and lets them inside. Ash attempts to remove the creature from Kane's face, but stops when he discovers that its blood is an extremely corrosive acid. It later detaches of its own accord and is found dead. The ship is partially repaired, and the crew continue their journey back to Earth. Kane awakens with some memory loss, but is otherwise unharmed. During a final crew meal before returning to stasis, he suddenly chokes and convulses. A small alien creature bursts from Kane's chest, killing him, and escapes into the ship with Ash dissuading the rest from killing it. The crew attempts to locate it with tracking devices and capture or kill it with nets, electric prods, and flamethrowers. Brett follows the crew's cat, Jones, into a landing-leg compartment where the now fully-grown alien attacks Brett and and disappears with his body. After a heated discussion, the crew decide the creature must be in the air ducts. Dallas enters the ducts, intending to force the monster into an airlock, but it ambushes and kills him. Lambert, realizing that the alien intends to aggressively kill the crew one by one, implores the others to abandon ship and escape in its small shuttle, but Ripley, now in command, "'explains that it will not support four people "'and insists on continuing with Dallas's plan "'of flushing out the alien.'" Accessing Mother, Ripley discovers that Ash has been secretly ordered by the company to bring the alien back, with the crew considered expendable. She confronts Ash, who tries to choke her to death. Parker intervenes and clubs Ash, knocking his head loose and revealing him to be an android. Ash's head is reactivated, and they learn that he was assigned to ensure the creature's survival. He expresses admiration for the creature's psychology, unhindered by conscience or morality, and taunts them about their chances of survival. Ripley cuts off his power as they leave. As they leave, Parker incinerates him. The remaining crew decides to self-destruct the Nostromo and escape in the shuttle. However, Parker and Lambert are ambushed and killed by the creature while gathering life support supplies. Ripley initiates the self-destruct sequence but finds the alien blocking her path to the shuttle. She retreats and attempts unsuccessfully to abort the self-destruct. With no further options, she makes her way to the shuttle and barely escapes as the Nostromo explodes. As Ripley prepares for stasis, she discovers that the alien is aboard, having wedged itself into a narrow space. She puts on a spacesuit and uses gas to flush the creature out. It approaches Ripley, but before it can attack, she opens an airlock door, almost blasting the creature into space. It manages to hang on by gripping the frame. Ripley shoots it with a grappling hook, but the gun catches as the airlock door closes, tethering the alien to the shuttle. It pulls itself into an engine exhaust but Ripley fires the engines, blasting the creature away into the depths of space. After recording the final log entry, she places Jones and herself into stasis for the trip back to Earth. So, Jack, uh, do you remember when you first saw this?
3: Uh, yeah, and shame on me. I, my wife had me watch it, I'd probably say, maybe about four years ago, actually.
1: Wow, well, yes, shame on you.
3: It took me way too long to see. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, it's one of those, you know... The iconic movies that it shouldn't have taken so long to see that movie, but I'm going to go ahead and guess that you saw it in theaters.
1: I, you know what? Surprisingly, I did not. Normally, I would have, but for whatever reason, my parents decided to go without me. I was nine in 1979, so I didn't actually see it in the theater. But they came home and told me all about it, and I so wanted to see it. So um, when it came on network TV, it was on one of the big three networks. I forget ABC, NBC, and. It it was an event. I think it was like a year, year and a half later, and we watched it on TV, and I was terrified. That just, you know, helped shape my, uh, my young horror-watching mind. <laughs> right, I can imagine. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> so let's get into the cast and crew a little bit here. We, of course, have director Ridley Scott. And, you know, he's another one that there There are several people that we keep saying we have to just do a whole show about. And he's one of those guys, because what can we say about the visionary director that hasn't already been said? You know, he's directed my all-time favorite picture, Blade Runner. He also notably directed movies like Legend, Black Rain, Hannibal, Black Hawk Down, Prometheus, and The Martian, just to name a very few.
3: And about a handful of, uh, a handful of Russell Crowe movies, too.
1: Yep, yep. He did Gladiator, right?
3: He did it uh gladiator robin hood american gangster body of lies and
1: that's right they're like yep. best yeah yeah and like i said there's just so many of them you know and you get us just uh we could devote a whole show to talking about his directing style um this movie right. definitely had had style to it this movie and then leading into blade runner i think um are his two masterpieces
3: yeah i was almost surprised that he was kind of a choice for alien it turns out he was A perfect choice for it, but I mean, he only had about one movie prior to Alien. Right. Uh, The Duelist, I think.
1: Yes, I think you're right on that. And yeah, so that was a big surprise, and especially considering the fact that Fox didn't want to do a sci-fi movie, but if it wasn't for the success of Star Wars, this would never have gotten made. Right.
3: No, exactly. I think I I was reading they they originally didn't even want to make it. I think they sold it as a... They pretty much just... Use Jaws. They said it's Jaws, but in space.
1: Right. <laughs> I think I th- think I could be wrong, but I thought I read that that was one of the things that Ridley Scott kind of did when he pitched it to them, was basically saying Jaws in space. Right. So then we of course have Dan O'Bannon, who wrote the film. He uh, he co-wrote Dark Star with John Carpenter in 1974, as well as um, a handful of pretty good movies: Dead and Buried, Blue Thunder, Life Force. He did do the remake of Invaders from Mars, so we don't know what happened there, but he also wrote Screamers and Total Recall, and he is probably best remembered, aside from writing Alien, as directing the movie Return of the Living Dead. So I, I think this was a solid script, too. He claims, he says, there's a quote by him that says, I didn't steal Alien from anybody, I stole it from everybody. And then he cites, yeah. like, five or six sci-fi movies.
3: <laughs> yeah. yeah, it worked.
1: Yeah, and I think he well he doesn't in the research that I did, uh, Dan O'Bannon doesn't say it, but um, this movie's plot is very similar to it, The Terror from Beyond Space, which came out in nineteen fifty eight. It's the same story where it's an alien creature that gets on a spaceship and it's hunting the crew one by one. So I think this movie owes a lot to that film as well.
3: Yeah, it read also he kind of took I think from a comic strip. It was like a eight page comic strip that almost tells the exact story also
1: right right yep. so yeah so i mean it's a lot of things are influenced by other things it's, this is no real direct ripoff of anything so you can't say it you know he, he does say he liked the um in the thing from another world he liked the idea of professional men being pursued by a deadly alien creature in a claustrophobic environment but this is far different than the thing you know what i mean it's totally its own its own creature no pun intended
3: Right, I mean, definitely, there are some connections you can definitely draw from. Right thing, I mean, the nineteen fifty one, the thing from the world, but I think especially the thing from the eighties. I think uh, even I could almost see some influence from Alien in many ways but yeah yeah definitely different movies
1: yeah yeah and one other one i wanted to just mention one of my favorite italian um science fiction movies planet of the vampires from 1965 contains a scene in which the heroes discover a giant alien skeleton and so that uh, definitely influenced o'bannon's um scene here where they the um the what do you call it they, they discover the alien creature in the derelict spacecraft all right so I haven't seen one. i'm sorry go ahead
3: I haven't seen that one. Oh,
1: you have to see. "Plan of the Vampire." is Very stylistic. It's Mario... I think it's Mario Bava film. It's so good. It's, you know, it's cheesy Italian 60s movie, but you, once you accept that, it's really enjoyable. <laughs> so, all right. We've got uh, Tom Skerritt as Dallas, who's the captain of the Nostromo. And Tom Skerritt, of course, has been in tons of stuff, as well, movies and TV. And just a, a brief overview. Some of his credits include M.A.S.H., uh, Contact, Top Gun... The Dead Zone. He was in Cheech and Chong's Up in Smoke, which I was—I forgot. I guess I saw that when I was a kid, um, just to name a few. And he was also kind of known for playing the sheriff on the eclectic TV series Picket Fences. I thought he did a great job here.
3: Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, he—we were just talking about the thing. Almost his character. I feel like him and Kurt Russell's character from the thing. Like they almost look like the same type of character. Maybe it's just the beard.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I didn't I didn't think of that. But um yeah, then we have of course the most I think the most famous breakout star from this film is Sigourney Weaver as Ripley the warrant officer. She had Broadway experience but was relatively unknown, but her audition impressed uh, Ridley Scott and the producers, and she was the last actor to be cast for the film. She did uh, they actually built a set for her to do her screen test on. And I think it was I could be wrong but I'm pretty sure it was Warren Beatty who recommended him recommended her to the role cuz originally the role was supposed to be a male character. Right. And so and which I thought was interesting and we'll get into the subtext later on but I thought it was cool because they didn't write it with any feminist notions in mind. She was just a character. It didn't have didn't matter whether she was a man or a woman.
3: Right. And I think Dan O'Bannon even put on the script pretty much the entire cast is unisex. There is no gender even really in consideration with the characters because right it doesn't really play an important role in how the movie really plays out
1: which is cool because the the uh, the issues that ripley encounters uh, have nothing to do with her gender they're just you know interpersonal re- relationship kind of things she actually got a nomination for saturn award for best actress for this and a bafta award for most promising newcomer to leading film role um, so obviously hugely popular, and again, another one with two numerous credits to list, and I'm just going to throw some out there, and Jack, you can throw in some others. I, I'm i just, just like, off the top of my head, we've got Ghostbusters 1 and 2, Death and the Maiden, Galaxy Quest, Avatar, Aliens, The Cabin in the Woods. I mean, she's been in tons of famous movies.
3: And her, I think bec- almost like her because of her role in Alien, a lot of her roles down the line almost feel like cameos because she's such an iconic horror character. So like showing up in a movie like cabin in the woods, it almost seems like they brought her on because of her character from alien and kind of that nod to, you know, classic horror movies.
1: Right. Um, Right. I would agree with that.
3: She was even, she was a voice of a computer in uh Wally. Oh, that's right. How can you cast that? And not really think of alien. Right. In some sense. (laughs) She's like the mother, but for uh, a kid's movie.
1: Right, right, exactly. That's so cool. Yeah, I mean, she's just great in this. I I love the character of Ripley. Hey, folks. I just wanted to take a minute here to tell you about the hosting service that we use at Haven Podcasts. Podserve.fm. Podcast hosting has never been easier. They do all the work to get your podcast on Apple Podcasts and other major podcast networks. They help you navigate the podcasting world, whether you're brand new or have years of experience. Folks, I can't tell you how happy I am with their service. When I first started this podcast, I searched around intensely for the right hosting platform. I found PodServe and used their simple four-step process. And in a short amount of time, my podcasts were on the internet and available through all the major podcast networks. And their customer support is unreal. Every time I goof things up and make a mistake, like uh, posting the wrong show to the wrong feed... I email them, and I kid you not, within minutes I get a response and the problem is resolved. And they're the only podcasting host that actually helps you get listeners. Other podcast hosts stop at podcast upload and don't help promote your podcast. Well, PodServe makes sure your podcast is seen by thousands of people. The promotion is free, and they put you on PodParadise.com, which has over 5,000 visits a day from avid podcast listeners and is growing every day. Each day, PodParadise selects five podcasts to spotlight on their front page. Maybe yours could be there soon. PodSurf's pricing is simple. Only 19 bucks a month. That's it. No tiered pricing platform, just one low fee. For 19 bucks a month, you get unlimited storage, unlimited podcasts, free podcast promotion, your podcasts on all platforms, detailed download analytics, one-on-one customer support. You pay month to month, and you can cancel at any time. And when you sign up, you get 14 days free. You don't even have to give them your credit card. I love their service so much I put a reminder in my phone to add my credit card when the 14 days was almost up. I couldn't give them my 19 bucks fast enough. I'm telling you, I I really didn't believe it until I actually signed up and saw my podcasts on everything from iTunes to Stitcher and Spotify and more in a ridiculously short amount of time. So if you've got a podcast and you don't have a hosting platform, I highly recommend PodServe.fm. Check them out.
3: Modern Talk, and the
1: head of Rondo Hatton,
3: only on Monster Kid Radio.
1: All right, so let's get into the finish the rest of the cast here. We've got Veronica Cartwright, who plays Lambert, the navigator. Uh, She was a child actress. She was in The Birds in 1963. And I always remembered her from her role in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the remake in 1978. And what's interesting is she was originally up for the role of Ripley, and she wasn't informed until she that she was cast as Lambert until she arrived in London for wardrobe setup. And, <laughs> really? Yeah. And she was pretty upset about that, but she, I think she got over it, and obviously since she continued to work in the movie. And she did win an, a Saturn Award for Best Supporting Actress, so most recently she played a psychic on the tv series general hospital and she's also uh, the sister of angela cartwright who played the girl penny on the original lost in space tv series so a lot of times i see in in writing people confusing the two and saying well angela cartwright was an alien it's like no no veronica cartwright was an alien (laughs) right then we've got a beloved character actor harry dean stanton as brett the engineering technician (laughs) And so, Stanton's first words to Ridley Scott during the audition were, I don't like sci-fi or monster movies. Scott was amused by this, and he convinced him to take the role after reassuring him that Alien would actually be a thriller, more like Ten Little Indians. But this guy, Harry Dean Stanton, man, he's another, he's a great character. actor. He's been in over 200 movies, some of which include Christine, Repo Man, Red Dawn, Twister, Wild at Hot, Anger Management. He does a solid performance here, too, I thought, Jack. Oh, yeah,
3: absolutely. I mean, and his character, I mean, he just stands out wearing that, uh, wearing his Hawaiian shirt.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
3: and on the job. They have a good dress code.
1: Yes, yeah. <laughs>
3: he was also actually, is a, I don't think the scenes made it, but I saw he was also credited for also being in uh, up in smoke.
1: Oh, maybe he was. Yeah. That's cool. He was
3: like a police officer in that. So he actually had worked with Tom Scared before.
1: Nice. That's awesome. Then we've got, of course, The famous John Hurt as Kane, the executive officer who becomes the host for The Alien. He was Ridley Scott's first choice for the role, but was contracted to do a film in South Africa during the same film dates as Alien. So they cast a guy named John Finch, but uh, John Finch became ill on the first day of shooting. And so Hurt happened to be in London at this point, and the South African project fell through. So he quickly replaced Finch, and then history has been made. He also got a BAFTA Award for Best Actor in a Supporting Role for this movie, and he's just a prolific actor. Again, he's another one that's been in over 200 things. Of course, he did pass away, I I believe, in 2017, but he was in such amazing things like The Elephant Man, History of the World Part One, The Osterman Weekend, Hellboy, and of course Spaceballs, where he spoofs his role here in Alien, which when I first saw that, I was like, wait a minute, is that really him? (laughs) Right. Oh no, not again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
3: and he did it all Yeah, he got in Some of his last work was What, well, I think it was Ollivander Right, and uh, Harry Potter
1: That uh, Yes, that's right Yep The guy that sells the wands That was um, I forgot about that Yeah, He's one of those character actors Sort of like Harry Dean Stanton That just shows up everywhere
3: Oh yeah, I was Looking through him Like, yeah, I forgot I yeah, I forgot he was in V for Vendetta and I just uh, oh, Snowpiercer yeah. was a good movie.
1: Yep Yep, and of course, you know the Elephant Man. I remember when I was a kid, that movie disturbed me, but that was a huge hit, and it was there was a lot of talk about the Elephant Man when that came out, and that was a starring role for him, which was cool. I, for me personally, I think my favorite role of his was was um, Professor Broom in Hellboy. I just I just loved his character in that movie. Yep. Yeah. So then, of course, we've got Ian Holm, who plays Ash, the ship's science officer that turns out to be an android. Spoiler alert for those who still haven't seen it. Holm was a character actor who, by 1979, had already been in 20 films. Um, He's another actor whose credits are too too numerous to list, but I'm going to say that the audience, or our listeners, I should say, will probably best remember him most recently as playing Bilbo Baggins in The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings movies, which I think he was perfect for that role. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Then, of course, we've got Yafit Kodo as Parker, the chief engineer. He's an African-American who was chosen partly to add diversity to the cast and give the Nostromo crew an international flavor. Uh, he was sent a, a script off the back of his recent success as the villain, Dr. Kan- Kananga, in the James Bond film Live and Let Die in 1973. And what ended up happening was he got a lucrative officer for a different movie, but he turned it down, so and hoped that he would be cast in Alien. He really wanted to do this movie, and he's another one with a long career in TV and movies, including Hawaii Five-O, Night Gallery, The A Team, and he was in the Schwarzenegger movie Running Man. So he does a great job here. Then, the the person who played the alien. This is interesting because uh, up until this point, you know, I've seen this movie quite a few times, and I never really looked into who played the alien, and it was a um, Nigerian guy named. Bolaji Badejo, I think, is how you pronounce it. it was twenty-six-year-old yeah. design student.
3: Yeah, and he's like six foot ten.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and and when he put the costume on, he was seven feet. <laughs> yeah, but I guess Ridley Scott liked it because um, I guess w- well, what happened was one of the um, casting team were in a bar, and they spotted this guy, and you know, of course, he's six feet ten, he stands out, but his long arms and slender frame. I think Scott really thought that that would help make the alien look really alien in, in the costume. So that's why he chose him.
3: Right. Well, he got, got about four minutes of screen time. Right. (laughs) Got to play an iconic role.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It would be remembered to this day as he still is. And then lastly, we have a lady named Helen Horton, who was the voice of mother, which was the Nostromo's computer. And of course, Jerry Goldsmith did the score. And I thought this was interesting when I looked it up that he, he wanted to create a sense of romanticism and lyrical mystery in the film's opening scenes, which would build throughout the film to suspense and fear. And Ridley Scott didn't like it, so Goldsmith rewrote it, and and he's quoted as saying, yeah, I went with the obvious thing, weird and strange, which everybody loved. <laughs> so, so yeah, so um, when you first saw this, what were your initial thoughts walking into it?
2: Um,
3: You know, it's one of those interesting movies, you know, the tagline alone kind of hooks you in. I think the tagline is probably one of the most iconic taglines for any movie too.
1: Right. Um, Give us the tagline. So you know
3: that, Oh, in space, no one can hear you scream.
1: Yeah. There you go. And,
3: and, you know, so, you know, no matter what's going to happen, there's no help. There's the team that you have, you know, it's up to them to kind of survive this. And there's no, no chance of any help. And, uh, but no, it's, it, it has so much tension throughout the whole movie, too. It's like, you know, you're waiting for... You know there's going to be an alien based on the title.
1: Right. The,
3: the anticipation of when are we going to see it? And they just build up so much tension. Um, you know, so few horror movies have, like, have been able to build up the tension that this movie really exceeds in doing. You don't even see the xenomorph until like about an hour in. Right. But from the get-go, probably five minutes in, you're anticipating the whole time
1: oh absolutely and what i liked was one of the scenes early on when um the face hugger is on Kane, and ash cuts into it and the acid drops to the floor and dallas realizes oh shit that's going to burn through the the hull so there's a race against time to try and get down and try and stop it and i thought that was a great way of putting in a tense scene but we still haven't seen the alien yet you know, we've seen the right. face hugger, but it's not they're fighting against something completely different.
3: Right. Yeah, and it kinda adds more more threat than you would even consider.
1: Oh, absolutely. And this movie had a ten point seven million dollar budget and worldwide they made over two hundred and three million. Uh so basically making like nineteen percent of their of their budget back. <laughs> Which is awesome.
3: Yeah it was a good deal.
1: Yeah. And for for the time, I mean they shot it over 14 weeks. I think it was like July to October in 78. And so that's pretty quick for for you know, a science fiction film of that caliber.
3: Right. I was reading with those numbers too. I saw Sigourney Weaver made $35,000. Wow. <laughs> Which uh so they got a good deal with Sigourney Weaver. I think they bumped her up to the millions for the second one, but
1: Right, right. <laughs>
3: You got a bargain for the first
1: one. Yeah, I mean, think about it. They, it was unknown property. They had no idea if it was going to succeed or not. I don't think Fox believed in it at all. They just did it because, oh, well, yeah, I guess sci-fi is popular.
3: Right, and following, you know, just two years after the success of Star Wars, you can't anticipate, you know, another space film that's going to succeed to that, you know, that heights.
1: Right, right. So, <laughs> And it was kind of funny. Did you notice at the very beginning it it... Almost was um, I want to say not lampooned, but I guess you could say an homage to Star Wars, where the Nostromo is flying over the camera, and it just reminded me of the Star Destroyer from the Star Wars movies. They they always open with a giant spaceship flying over the camera. Right. One thing I really love is I I enjoyed the the monochrome text based computers because even though they're so archaic, I, they definitely added charm to the movie. You know, it didn't. Oh yeah. You didn't have to have Star Trek-level computers on the ship.
3: (laughs) No, no. I mean, and they're just using, they're asking basic questions to this, you know, what chances they have. Like, any question they ask these computers, it it just can't compute. Right. (laughs) I don't know their sole job, and they can't compute anything.
1: Right. (laughs) Well, that's interesting. Let's get into a little bit of the subtext, because the computer's called Mother, and Nostromo means, oh, our man. And so by having the, the ship itself is our man, but the computer that runs it is mother, it's sort of a mix of gender. It's not like a husband and wife kind of thing. And there's a lot of little sexual subtext that goes on in this film. Um, you've got, for, first of all, when the characters are in their spacesuits they're, and they're exploring the derelict spaceship on the planet, they look like sperm cells entering the fallopian tube. So that was really interesting. And then, of course, what do they find? Eggs. <laughs> yep. And when Kane breaches the egg, uh, the facehugger jumps onto him, and it just reminded me of like the sperm and the egg combining. And of course, the facehugger essentially rapes him and plants an egg inside of him through his, you know, through his throat, uh, thereby impregnating him. And then, of course, when it bursts out of his chest, it's very phallic-looking. The the little the tiny baby alien. Sure. Which I have to say, though, the one thing Spaceballs has ruined for me is every time I see that scene, I, I keep expecting it to have a little top hat singing, hello, my baby, hello, my honey.
3: <laughs> yep. take some of, the, uh, some of the fear out of it.
1: Right. <laughs> but then there was um, the one final thing that I have here in my notes was that uh, Ripley is assaulted by Ash, and he rolls up a newspaper, and it's like a, a phallic object that he's trying to shove down her throat. Oh, yeah. So. um, I know,
3: filming that must have been interesting. Because, yeah, yeah. it's such an intense scene where it's taking multiple people trying to pry him off of her while he's just shoving that down her throat.
1: And because he's so strong, I mean, he's tossing her around with one hand before that, like she weighed nothing. Right. Which was great, because you really didn't see a lot of that kind of cool super strength feats in those days. So that was really cool to see.
3: Uh, Interesting fact I read... Was Dan O'Bannon didn't even write Ash into the original story. Oh, really? He actually had zero intention of having any android. It was actually the producers who added Ash to the story because they wanted more of a kind of that sci-fi aspect to it to have a robot as part of the cast that, you know, you find out, especially once they bash his head off and he's still (laughs) functioning. Right, right. Uh, But yeah, there was a commentary. Uh, If you listen to I think it's like the 40th anniversary commentary he uh he like doesn't understand why they even included him in it but I feel like he's such an important part of the story.
1: Right, and especially as as in the sequel in Aliens um with Bishop they kind of it, it, they built off of the Ash character. Right. And you know, it's interesting too because I noticed there was a scene I think it was the scene where the crew goes down to the planet and Ash is in the ship talking to them. And there's one point where he's laughing it. I forget what it was that Dallas said. He said a joke or something. And he's laughing. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, knowing, of course, that he's an android. How does he have emotions? And they, I don't know if they were inconsistent with that or if they had really, maybe because it was a last minute thing, they didn't really think it through. But Because he's laughing at that point, And then um, when Sigourney, when Ripley, Finally, you know, they, they reattach the head and, and interrogate him and get the information that they need. And he says something that pisses her off and she just pulls the plug. And just before he, he you know, goes, I want to say dies again, um, he's got a smirk on his face. So right. as an android, he, ha- he seemed to have emotions.
3: Yeah, that is an interesting aspect to it.
1: Too. Which I totally did not expect that. Now, getting to Ripley, um, and one thing you and I had talked about off uh, off mic was that I noticed that Ripley seemed to have a conflict of sorts with most of the crew. You know, Parker and Brett kept giving a shit because they didn't want to even deal with the asteroid. You know, they're all, they're all concerned about their money and how much they're getting. And there's that one scene where she's kind of not really yelling at them, but she's she's basically scolding them, and they just basically turn the steam on. So it makes it difficult for her to talk, and then she finally leaves, and then they shut it off. <laughs> That's, I thought that was funny. Yeah. But then you've got, you know, Ash, of course, defying her orders because he's under orders from Mother and he lets Dallas and the others onto the ship. So she's kind of pissed at him throughout the movie before she realizes he's an android. Then, um, you know, Dallas and Ripley, they can't agree on what to do with the uh, with the creature. And I got from that scene I think even at a younger age, I definitely saw that there was sexual tension between those two. Yeah.
3: Um, Which, you know, it's interesting, like we say, the cast is unisex, but um, yeah, they they definitely do end up creating tension, which I wonder if that was kind of just planned along the way while doing the filming or. uh...
1: I don't know. It might have been their screen chemistry because I just remember being much, much younger and somehow getting it into my head that they had had a previous relationship, which I know is not written anywhere. It's not part of the story. But so it must be there just very subtly. Right. Then, of course, you've got uh, Lambert, who kind of gets a little snippy with her. But Lambert starts to get unglued. And she reminded me of um, Bill Paxton's character in Aliens, where, you know, game over, man. It's <laughs> just yeah. pull the ship and go. And then I guess Kane was the only one that Ripley didn't really have an issue with. She didn't really interact with him all that much.
3: Right. Yeah, he kind of almost has his, to some extent, he almost kind of has his own st- Story, you know, he's he's off on his own for uh, some parts of the movie too,
1: and just yeah, kind of searching through. And he's the first one that wakes up from the suspended animation, right? So, and one other theme I noticed in this film it's potentially it's corporate greed, where you've got the company that controls Mother, and they're only interested in the alien and what it can benefit them, perhaps it can profit them. You know, maybe they want to weaponize it, and as well as going down to the level of uh, Parker and Brett. Concerned about how much money they're making So there was a lot of concern about money In this in this movie as well Right,
3: yeah, and it kind of So yeah, there's kind of a level of of trust Which actually I kind of You know, the, calling the program Mother Almost instinctively Makes you want to trust You know, trust the program that's running Kind of the direction of things Oh, that's um, true you kind of betrayed by any trust You might have had with The program called Mother
1: Right, right. <laughs> That's true. Un- unless it ends up in a, a Norman Bates kind of territory, then you should be concerned. <laughs> right. I mean, that always makes me think of too the the Avengers TV series, the, the, not the Marvel comics, but the one about the spies with Patrick Mcnee and in, in the sixties and seventies. And the the guy who was in charge of the spy organization, they referred to him as Mother as well. So it again, I think it it's to evoke the same the same concept like you just said right
0: hello this is rod barnett i'm the host of the bloody pit the podcast that examines films from across the decades on the bloody pit we have several ongoing series of shows within the show focused on specific things in genre cinema that i and my co-hosts find fascinating There's a long-running series focused on Italian maestro Antonio Margheriti's films from the 1960s all the way up through 1990. There's an on-again, off-again series focused on 1970s science fiction films. There's an in-depth look at the Western movies that William Castle made before he struck out on his own and became the horror auteur that we know and love a look at the classic Coffin Joe films from Brazil, and our long-term project to look at every universal horror film made in the 1940s. That's a long project, people. It's going to take us a long time. Sprinkled in amongst those are various other episodes focused on other stranger areas of cinema, like uh, Lucio Fulci, Dario Argento... And even some obscure British crime films from time to time. So, join me and my rotating crew of co hosts as we examine the stranger side of cinema through an exploitation lens. Except when we don't? Yeah, you never really know exactly what to expect on The Bloody Pit. So, join me for The Bloody Pit. Greetings, this is Mr.
2: Lobo. Are you a sin somniac? Do you stay up late and watch what normal people call bad movies till dawn? Black and white low budget pot boilers, box office bombs, West German talking car movies, rock bands versus monster movies, broken down school films, midget zombie and midget spy flicks, guys in gorilla suit movies, even old TV commercials, inappropriate cartoons, drive in snack bar ads and worse. Well, we like to say, they're not bad movies. Just misunderstood. Stay up late with Miss Mittens, your host, Mr. Lobo, and a revolving door of special guests, fellow horror movie hosts, robot monsters, and lovely Real Seven Girls, for a late night TV slumber party that we call Cinema Insomnia. You can watch us on channel OSI 74 for Roku. We even have some episodes on Amazon and Alpha Video DVD. You may never get a good night's sleep again.
0: Hey, cats and kittens, do you remember the 50s? Jukeboxes, hot rods, malt shops, and sock hops? No, not really. Oh, well, do you remember that TV show Happy Days? You know, Fonzie and Richie and all like that? A, sit on it, etc.? Kind of. Then join us for These Days Are Ours, a Happy Days podcast, where we watch every episode and give you the lowdown on what it all means. Find us at thesedaysareours.libson.com and follow us on Twitter at Fonzie Podcast. Be there or be square. You're sure you don't remember sock hops? Sorry, no. Okay, then.
1: One thing I loved was the, the 70s style the way everything was designed definitely looks 70s, but it didn't look cheesy or hokey, you know?
3: Right. Yeah, no, it has definitely has like a grit to the style of it for sure.
1: Yeah. And then, of course, you walk into the, the chamber where they communicate with Mother and it's just all lights in the wall that don't – nothing's labeled. No buttons are labeled. They're just beeping and flashing and flashing and beeping. <laughs> right. Um, but I guess, you know, I don't know what purpose that served, but I'm sure there was something to it. And I love the fact that they all, they're just sitting around smoking on the ship.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, no. I mean, it's a blue collar film all the way. You know, you you consider like 2001, a space odyssey, or, you know, a lot of space films where these astronauts are kind of more cleaner and everything's like pure white.
1: Um, Yeah. Antiseptic.
3: But yeah, these... I mean, I think the set was, they used airplane, like a- airplane parts and hangers to basically create the s- set. And I mean, you can tell it, what's good is they do a great job of making it look, you know, lived in and used. It doesn't look like a, you know, a stage or a set. It looks like it's been, the Nostromo just this beat up old hull
1: that right. they've been
3: using for, you know, decades
1: oh absolutely absolutely and of course you mentioned that um they were you know like blue collar workers in space which is which is cool because i think that works not only on the um the level of the ships looking lived in and used and all that but you know no one's born with the force no one's a a techno nerd on the enterprise these are just relatable blue collar guys schlubbing a a job in deep space you know (laughs) i think that works and why it's still relevant to today yeah
3: no it It definitely helps even make a, you know, that connection with the audience, um, something they can relate to. Kind of just like, you know, Captain Quint on, uh, you know, in Jaws, just. True. You kind of root for those, those hardworking blue collar guys.
1: That's true. That's true. Now, one question I have for you, Jack, is why is there a self-destruct mechanism on the ship?
3: Uh, That's a good question. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> I mean that just uh, seems like a throwback, you know, to the old mad scientist in the lab that has the lever that'll destroy the lab.
3: Right. Yeah, it's, well I guess they think of everything. Um but yeah, I wonder how many times they've had to use the self destruct or what other ships they had where they said, "Boy, I really wish we had a self destruct button," honestly.
1: Right, right. I mean the only thing I can think of is like in and this is later, after this movie, but in the Star Trek movies, they, they destroy the Enterprise with the self-destruct. And the, the purpose of having a self-destruct was so that if something happened to the crew, it wouldn't fall into enemy hands. So maybe right. their space cargo, whatever mining stuff they were hauling, they, they wanted the option that if they had to destroy it, they could. Right.
3: Yeah, and that makes sense. I, like, uh, their, I mean, their original plans with the aliens, you know, shoot them off into... Shoot him off into space. I think it's interesting that, though, Ash has, you know, the goal to bring the alien back at any cost. None of them have any concern at all to, to do research or bring back the alien. They just want to shoot it off into space.
1: Right, right. And I love the scene where Ripley basically realizes that Mother tells her the crew is expendable. And she just gets pissed. And she I love the fact that they allowed the character a moment to just get pissed about that because...
3: Yeah, she calls her... She calls her a bitch.
1: Yeah.
3: <laughs> She's like an angry teenage girl who's mad at her actual mother.
1: Right, right, yeah. <laughs> so um, one other thing that you and I, again, off mic, we kind of wanted to touch upon was, you know, what influence this movie's had. And I, I look it up, I found a brief list. I know that there are more, but there's a list of movies that basically ripped off Alien. Uh, some are good, some are okay, and some are horrible, but... You've got Alien Contamination, an Italian film from 1980. Deep Star 6 from 1989 that had Greg Evigan and Miguel Ferrer in it, which I actually did see in the movies. Seminoid from 81, uh, surreal and sleazy and pretty much uncomfortable story of a foreign body invading our own in the most gruesome way possible. Uh, Galaxy of Terror, 1981 Roger Corman schlock ripoff fest. Uh, there's another one called Parasite from 1982, which was in 3D, and I, it had Demi Moore in it, and Stan Winston did the effects, and I remember I my parents took me to the Orson Welles Theater in Boston to see uh, the um, Vincent Price movie House of Wax in 3D, and as we were coming out, I saw a poster for Parasite, and I, that was coming in 3D, and I so badly wanted to see it, I never actually did get to see it, I I finally now own it on on DVD, but... It's not even worth it, but it was just at the time when you're a kid and you see this poster, it looks awesome. And then there's two more films that come to mind here, uh, Forbidden World from 1982, another Coleman ripoff, and a movie from 85 called Creature that stars the renowned German crazy person Klaus Kinski. (laughs) And also Ferris Bueller's dad is in it too, Lyman Ward. Oh, really? Yeah. That's pretty decent. Creature's not not too bad of all the, the ripoffs, but... Yeah, I mean, we even said, what was it? You just mentioned that Alien had an influence on the thing. so
3: Right. Yeah, well, it's weird how that passes off. You know, Alien was influenced by the thing from Another World, but then I see, watch the thing from, um, what is it, 85? 82. 82, sorry. And uh, yeah, I'm almost like, well, I feel like Alien influenced this. So they kind of work off each other in a way. And they both definitely have those, you know, that sense of isolation. Um, They both definitely have that strong theme of, you know, you're in this vast space, but you're stuck and you feel claustrophobic.
1: Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the irony there, huh? That they're in space. It's just open for billions and billions of miles, but they're stuck in this tiny little, you know, metal container. I love that. I think that's. that's I like
3: how they. When they wake up from their sleep, it's almost, you know, just like the viewers, you're you're dropped right into the middle of, you know, this universe that you're not really sure of. And they're kind of just coming to themselves.
1: Yeah, and I love that, that whole opening that leads up to them waking up because it's the cameras just moving through the ship and the music is slow and creepy. And when they start to open up, you have no, when you first see this, especially back in 79, you have no idea what they're about to show you. You, all you know is it's a scary movie. <laughs> right. It definitely has a a creep vibe, a creepy vibe through the whole film.
3: Well, and uh, one thing actually that I had read was uh, to get Ridley Scott into doing a horror movie. Dan O'Bannon had him sit down and watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, oh, 1974. really? And just had him sit down. They said he, I think he said like they he ordered a. He had a burger and a soda, and he didn't touch either one for the entire movie because he was so captivated. Wow. um, By such a scary, haunted, I mean, haunted movie, a horror flick. Yeah. And he was like glued right to it, and he said, That's it. He was on board. He wanted to do it. Because I think Ridley Scott was quoted as saying, You know, he wanted to make a haunted house film in space.
1: Oh, that's awesome. That's so cool. And, you know, Texas Chainsaw is one of those movies that. When you first saw that, when that first came out, you walked away thinking you saw more than you actually did. There's hardly any blood in that film. Right. <laughs> it's all tension, and it's just so effective because it has this reputation that precedes it, and it's, it's only due to the skill of Toby Hooper. <laughs>
3: right. Well, and the title of that movie really kind of lets you know what you're in for.
1: <laughs> That's true, too. <laughs> That's true. And, you know, one thing we would be remiss if we didn't touch upon here on the show is the whole chest bursting scene. Where the the cast knew that the creature was supposed to be bursting out of John Hurt. But they saw the chest burst of puppet, but they really weren't told that fake blood was going to be squirting out from all different directions through high pressure pumps. And how they did it was, I guess, they, um, they took an artificial torso filled with blood and viscera and John Hurt stuck his head and arms up through the table. So, you know, he was down under the table, but it looked like that was his body when they put him when they laid him on his back as he was convulsing. And then you had this puppeteer that basically shoved the puppet up through the torso, the fake torso on a stick. So when it burst through the chest, a stream of blood shot directly at Veronica Cartwright, and it shocked her so much that she fell over and went into hysterics. <laughs>
3: Yeah, and that's the best... I mean, that's so smart for them to go that route. I love when I hear, you know, movies do that to elicit a real reaction. I was just watching Alien with my wife, and I, I mentioned, I said... Because she told me that same fact, you know, they weren't really aware of how the scene was really going to play out. Yeah. And it says, reminds me of uh, Hans Gruber and Die Hard when, when he dies at the end. Spoiler yeah. alert. But um, <laughs> they I think Alan Rickman, I think they said... You know, they let him go. They said at the count of three, and I think they let him go at you know the count of two. On two, yeah. And the look on the face dropping is is actually you know really his reaction, which is the best response you can get.
1: Oh yeah, talking. yeah. That's uh, that's awesome. And even Tom Scarrett said it. You know, he goes, uh, "What you saw on camera was the real response." She had no idea what the hell happened. All of a sudden, this thing just came up, and um, there was a couple of other scenes. They and it's funny that you said that Ridley Scott wanted to make this uh, haunted house in space because they took there were two scenes that are tropes of horror movies, and that's where you think there's something there, and it turns out to be the cat that jumps out and still scares you.
3: <laughs> yeah, I think the whole movie I'm waiting for the cat to die. It's such a talk about tropes. As soon as I see an animal, yeah, I go, they're not gonna they're not gonna last long. They're usually right. the first to go, but. <laughs> I mean, that cat makes it through the whole movie, so it's impressive. But it, it kind of adds to the tension, too. Yeah. I keep waiting for something to happen with that cat. So it's interesting that they decided to even include a cat in the movie, but it works on a lot of different ways to kind of, you know, keep your heart going during the movie.
1: Right, right. Because you don't know what's what's happening next, you know. And they, apparently they used four identical cats to play Jonesy, the crew's pet there, and um, during the filming, Sigourney Weaver discovered she was allergic to the combination of cat hair and this glycerin that they placed on the actor's skin, so it made them all, that's why they appeared sweaty all the time. I guess they, they stopped using the glycerin on her, and she was able to work with the cats without much of an issue for allergies. But yeah, it, it definitely having the cat on the ship is is some kind of a red herring. Like you said, you walk in thinking, "Oh, the cat's going to die," but then the cat lives but ends up scaring you, scaring the shit out of you a couple times. <laughs> Which I watched it with my wife last night and uh I still jumped at a lot of the scenes <laughs> that I knew they were coming. All right, so Jack, we have covered the movie Alien here. I think we've we've really gotten into a lot of the different Uh, topics the themes the subtext and and things that happen in the film Uh, what are your final thoughts on the movie Alien and is it something that you would recommend to a younger audience does it hold up today
3: uh it absolutely does I mean especially during COVID what better movie to watch during COVID than a bunch of people stuck stuck in a small confined space together right (laughs) worrying about being infested so no I think it especially with you know we talked about Sigourney Weaver and that female role that's not really in any way sexualized. It's refreshing to see, you know, such like a female role and that's just, you know, it takes the lead like that. Um, but yeah, any per- it's definitely on, you know, any top 10 list of classic horror films that somebody needs to see. Um, so yeah, absolutely recommend it. And like I said, i I felt guilty just not even seeing it for so long myself, but, and then now there's, and now there's a whole universe surrounding that movie, which they didn't anticipate when they first filmed it, but between Prometheus and, you know, the other aliens, there's a whole timeline now to explore. So it's really a interesting kind of environment to uh get sucked into
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And the movie itself, like we said, it's it's very influential. It's got a lot of rip-offs made about it as well as, or not about it, but it's got a lot of rip-offs made that have taken the concepts and tried to do different things with them on different budgets. It's influenced a lot of more higher brow films. Like we said, John Carpenter's The Thing. And it, its influence, I think, is still relevant today. There's still, the characters are still relatable. It doesn't look dated. When you watch this, even though the technology's old, like I said, the computers are monochrome text computers, but they work. Right. You know, maybe that's all that ship needed. You don't need fancy, uh, you know, Starship Enterprise kind of computers on there.
3: Yeah, I mean, the whole ship just seems like this refurbished, you know, hunk of metal that gets the job done.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you for joining us today, Jack. I also enjoy this movie. I highly recommend it. If you have not seen Alien or if there's a young person in your life that has not seen it, sit them down and watch it. It's a classic And uh, Jack, we'd love to have you back on the show again to discuss more of these kinds of films.
3: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Then Is Now podcast. I highly recommend watching Alien from 1979 if you haven't seen it. And also, you need to show this to a young person in your life so they can enjoy this scary movie. If you want to send us your thoughts on this or any other Then Is Now episode, please email us at thenisnow42 at gmail.com. You can also join in on the conversation at our Facebook Then Is Now podcast group. So spread the word. Then Is Now Podcast is now a proud member of the Dorkening Podcast Network, so please go to thedorkening.com to check out all the other great shows there. Visit our website at havenpodcasts.com, where you'll find all kinds of fun stuff, including our sister show, The East Meets the West, in which we discuss Shaw Brothers films and spaghetti westerns then is now podcast is on youtube now so please visit our youtube page at youtube.com slash user slash uncle death one and hit the subscribe button and please share that link with your friends and get them to subscribe as well then is now podcast is available on itunes stitcher spotify and all the podcasting apps so if you enjoyed this episode please go to wherever you download your podcast from and leave us a great review so others can find the show We hope you had fun learning about the fantastic horror sci-fi movie Alien. Class dismissed. This is intended for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. Sounds, music, and clips played during this podcast are the property of their copyright holders. All original content is copyright Jupiter Media.